Gentlemen, you're listening to the Gird Up Podcast. The Gird Up Podcast is a ministry designed to help young men become the men that God has created us to be. Most men's ministries focus on middle-aged men in crisis, right? Well, we're hoping not to get that far. We're hoping uh, our goal is to help young men discover God the way he truly is and to be the men that God has created us to be. This episode today is sponsored by... Pastor Mike Novotny, the Time of Grace team, and the new book coming out, Three Words That Will Change Your Life, The Secret to Enjoying, I'm sorry, The Secret to Experiencing the Joy of God's Presence. Those three words, of course, are God is here. That tiny little sentence can change everything. Truly understanding God's presence is key to more happiness, less boredom, more rest, less rush, more love, less drama, more peace, and less fear. A deeply satisfying life doesn't require a sabbatical, a new career, or a New Year's resolution. As long as God is glorious enough and near enough, you can cast aside the cheap substitutes you've settled for and enjoy the life that is truly here and now. This book will help you shake off the guilt and shame of sin and see yourself as God sees you. Find the joy that he has been waiting to give you as you discover how three little words can revolutionize your relationship with God. Pastor Mike Navani is a co-pastor at the core. He is the lead speaker of the ministry media, the media ministry time of grace, and serves as the chairman of Conquerors through Christ. Go pick it up. I just read it. It's an excellent book. It officially comes out on January 7th. So if you're listening to this before January 7th, go pre-order. If you're listening to this after January 7th, uh, make sure you go on Amazon and buy the books. Um, they shouldn't run out, I don't think, or if they do, God's bl- <laughs> what a tremendous blessing. But any- anyway, go go buy one on Amazon. The book is called Three Words That Will Change Your Life by Pastor Mike Novotny. Let's get started with the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, man, we're going to dig deep into the Bible today. We're going to start digging into men of the Bible in particular, uh, talking about their stories and learning from their stories, examining uh, the the examples of Christian manhood that God has given us in his word. Um, I'm mostly going to read what I have written um, and uh, share that with you, and then we're going to reflect at the end. Um, someday, it's my hope and dream to, to uh, conglomerate these into a book. So we'll see if that, we'll see when that happens. That's going to happen. We'll see when that happens. But first of all, um, we're going to dig through the book of Judges first. We're going to talk about Gideon very first because he's the first of the judges that gets a big chunk of story in his name. So um, starting in Judges chapter six and then going through seven and eight, are good, that's Gideon's story. Um, we're going to spend a couple of days or a couple of weeks here talking about Gideon. Um, today we're going to talk about identity, uh, particularly in regards to Gideon and his story. I want to read um, from Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abuserite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and will put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord returned. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in all my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If I now have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat into a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to the Lord under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called the called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Now, Gideon starts out our story as nothing. Gideon begins our story not even as a well, barely a man. Uh, Gideon is the least in his family, and his clan, or his family, is the weakest in all of Israel, and the entire nation of Israel is overrun with Midianites. They come in each spring with their massive armies, and they trample the crops, they eat all the livestock, they ravage the land so crops won't grow in the future. They rape and pillage, too, defiling Israelite virgins, killing families, stealing everything that they can get their hands on. So the Israelites are broken, defeated, and starving little better than slaves, and into this nation, and into this lowest clan, the least in the lowest family of the clan, is Gideon, the bottom of the barrel. Somehow, Gideon managed to grow a little bit of wheat and keep it from the Midianites, but in order to process it and make it into bread, it needs to be threshed. Normally, threshing was a joyous occasion, full of feasting and excitement, and this, but this harvest is one of weeping and fear. The people are dying, and they can't do anything about it. Gideon puts out, pounds out, I'm sorry, the few sheaves he's gathered in the bottom of a wine press, which is just about the worst place on earth to do such things because you need wind. Um, But hunched and wary, Gideon does his best to save the grain, provide for his family, and keep his own life in the process. And to this quaking and terrified shell of a man, the angel of the Lord appears. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, declares the king of kings. But Gideon isn't buying it. He's no warrior. He's a flea. He's hiding in his own land from the enemies of God. If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? Nah, Gideon Gideon isn't mighty, and neither is the God of his forefathers. At least that's what he thinks. The Lord says, go in your strength and save Israel from Midian. I myself am sending you. I will be with you and will strike down the Midianites together. The Lord reveals himself to Gideon. He terrifies him, strikes fear in his heart, and in a short time, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him, and he summons the four armies of Israel. 
He leads the four armies of Israel into battle, and God proves himself right. He makes Gideon a mighty warrior, pulling off one of the greatest upsets in military history, giving humble Gideon authority over all Israel. When it's all said and done, Gideon and his family, who at the beginning of the story were near slaves and broken and beaten by Midian, are hailed by their enemies as true men, warriors, each with the bearing of a prince. The Lord takes the meek and lowly Gideon and writes a path of victory and of authority, of wealth and prosperity, all given by the hand of the God that Gideon believed was dead and gone. That Gideon believed is just a legend of the past. Very few fathers in our modern age speak real meaning into the lives of sons as they have in generations past. Names like Smith and Schmidt, which were earned over long years by families of craftsmen, um, stories and great of greatness and honor that, that we used to tell our sons, um, legends and to guide and rites of passage that the men would go through on the way um, to manhood. They've all gone away of the dinosaur, and many men are lost and confused, devoid of purpose and identity. Purpose is the foundation on which our lives are built. And identity guides our thoughts and actions across lifetimes and generations. You and I are men of God. We have been called according to a purpose, and we must remember that we are not free men. We are not the free men we believe ourselves to be. We have been sold as slaves to sin. We were completely and utterly lost, dead in our transgressions. But our Lord Jesus Christ shines his light in the darkness. He has become our substitute, the perfecter of our faith, and he shed his blood to atone for our debt. He is our redeemer. Paul reminds us, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. We are therefore slaves to Christ who has bought us out of darkness and into this wonderful light. We no longer live as the world lives in the futility of their thinking, but as men set apart for the purposes of God. We are adopted as sons into his family of believers. We are now princes in the kingdom of God. We need to remember who we are, and we need to live our lives accordingly. Now, with that in mind, it's important that we do three things. First of all, we need to examine our family's legacies. What stories and experiences that shaped our identity, right? For me, I think about my grandfather and my, I've talked about this before, but especially my grandpa Schmidt. When I was a uh, middle schooler and high schooler, he would take me to work with him. And eventually I did work for him. And I got paid even. Um, and we would ride around the countryside in the big work trucks. And he would tell stories about his childhood, about his youth, about things growing up, about how he met grandma and, and all, these, all these stories. And they're fascinating stories and they're wonderful and great. And they were a lot of fun, but more than anything else, they started to shape me and define for me what manhood is and what it means to be part of the family, right? On the other side, on my dad's side of the family, he'd even talk about, this is how an Ungamak acts. This is not how an Ungamak acts, acts, right? Um, My my name is, it's the sixth generation to share my first middle and last name. Now, they've been switched around and swapped out, right? My Edward Charles was way back. Uh, so my dad's Edward Charles, his dad's Edward Charles, his dad's Edward Charles, and then Charles Edwards is before that. And someday I'll have a little Charles Edward of my own. We'll probably call him Eddie because my dad's cooler than I am. But um, that tells a story, right? And from the time I was a boy, they would we would go visit the cemeteries and we would talk about the men whose gravestones we were looking at. We would talk about both their <laughs> their positive attributes and their failures and negative attributes. We is a is a uh, World War One veteran in my family who what we now would call PTSD, right? Um, but at the time they didn't have such diagnoses, and, and he really struggled. 
And he and until until very close to the end of his life, he was not a particularly pleasant man. So then, when my own grandfather had to go off to war, he was he acted very differently when he came back because he'd seen the ravaging um, effects of of a father who wasn't able to deal with some of that some of those ghosts from his past and things like that. So hearing those stories about things that didn't go well and things that, that are good and our blessings and our attributes that we want to continue to hand down. That same grandfather, right, who suffered from what we would now call PTSD, um, was a staunch traditionalist, and he uh, was the last milkman in Kenosha to drive a horse and buggy. And, and it's, that's a good thing, right? He, he, was, he had loyal customers. The milk company allowed him to continue to drive a horse and buggy because he did what he did well. He was a positive member of society. Right? And I loved hearing about the stories of my own grandfather serving, serving as a police officer and doing some of the great things he did, both in the easy times when things were good and, and some of the laughter and, and joy that he brought to people's lives, but then also talking about how he dealt with some incredibly difficult situations, whether they be suicide, whether they be um, dealing with the mob, dealing with all kinds of different difficulties, both in the family, outside of the family. Um, I love the lore of he, he, for his entire adult life, he had one bullet that just sat on his desk or on the top of his dresser. Never told anybody why it was there, at least as far as I know. Never told anybody why it was there. It was just a bullet sitting on top of his desk. And as a man who made his living as a watchdog, if you will, right, he was a police officer. He had one bullet sitting on top of his, de- on top of his dresser. You can't tell him that it didn't signify something. I love the lore of that, right? It shaped who I am. It shaped what I've become. It's your turn to go examine your family legacy. What are the good things you want to keep? What are the bad things you want to get rid of? What are the tendencies of your family, of the men in your family in particular, that you don't want to pass on to your own sons? And it's time to think about the things that you're going to pass on. Talk, time to think about the way you're going to live your life and be intentional about the identity that you pour into your sons' lives. Second thing you got to do is consider what God has called men to be, right? It's not just about what I want to be. It's not just about what the world says. It's not about any of that, actually. It's far more. It's 100% about what God says men should be. So you have to determine what has God called men to be and how does that shape my identity? That's something you need to consider. That's something you need to dive into and dig into. And that's something you can only find by study, diligent study of the scriptures, diligent study of what other Christian men have to say, and taking the advice that you've been given and the guidance that you've been given both in and out of scripture and building a life of service to our Heavenly Father. Now, note, I am not saying that other people's opinions bear the same weight as Scripture. I'm saying that not everything is outlined in Scripture. And so sometimes you need to go talk to the Christian men around you who have lived lives of Christian service, who have lived out their lives as men of God, and get advice from them. Finally, the last thing you need to consider is the legacy that you want to leave. How do you want your sons to remember you? Is there something new you want to do? Is there something you want to change? Go be intentional about doing that. I guess we already talked about that a little bit. But go be intentional about the legacy that you leave. Gentlemen, consider those three things. Examine your family's legacy. uh, Sort out the good and the bad. Continue the good. Get rid of the bad so that your sons can look at you 
and do the same, and we can progress forward in time, uh, forward in positivity, drawing closer and closer to Heavenly Father by generation. Second thing you need to do is consider what God has called you to be as a man. You can only do that through diligent study of his word. And third, you want to consider the legacy you are going to leave, both inside and outside of your family. What's the legacy you want to leave? Be intentional about it. Be intentional in building that legacy and forming that reputation so that you can control what you leave behind. With that in mind, let's pray together. Father, you are a loving God, the Lord of all and the King of kings. We thank you for authoring the redemptive work of your son and for sacrificing yourself that we might be your sons. Write this identity into our hearts and minds that we may compose ourselves as princes in the kingdom of God. Let the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, and the things we do today and every day reflect our identity as sons of God and let your light shine in the darkness through us. Let your will be done and let it be done through us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.